Okay, we're going to get started this evening, um, and uh, I've just come out of the study, and I am so excited to share with you tonight. I feel like Moses coming down out of the mountain, um, and so I've just been r- richly blessed by a uh, study for tonight, and so uh, if you have your Bible, and I hope you do, uh, please turn to Romans chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 9 through 12 of Romans 1 as we begin a new subsection, really, in our study of Paul's prayers. And uh, like miners who uh, dig diligently for hidden treasures, we have been going through the pages of the New Testament, uh, studying out, finding, and then studying out all of Paul's prayers as recorded in the pages of the New Testament. Uh, And we're doing this because we want to learn how to pray in accordance to God's revealed will and the best way to learn how to pray is to listen. Uh, I remember there was a time in my life when praying with anyone was absolutely terrifying. Uh, And what God used in my life to grow me was actually prayer meeting. It was me sitting next to and listening to others pray and reveal their own walk with God through that. And as I listened to others pray, I learned two very important things. First, I learned that praying really is simply just talking to God in faith upon the merits of Jesus Christ. And the second thing I learned by listening in on other people's prayers is I learned as I listened to older believers in particular pray, what types of things I should be praying for. Um, And that's what we're learning in our study of Paul's prayers. As we listen in on Paul's prayers recorded for us in the pages of the New Testament, we are learning what to adore, what to appreciate, what to ask for, what to admonish, and what to amen in our own prayer lives. We're currently studying what we ought to ask for in our prayers, particularly when it comes to other believers in Jesus Christ. What types of things ought we to pray for, for ourselves and for one another? And the first section that we studied in what we are to ask for is uh, what we ought to ask for personally when it comes to other believers. And when it comes to other believers, what we learned is that we ought to pray for the entirety of their person, their physical, their emotional, their mental, and their spiritual needs. Those are all personal needs that we've examined over the last several months, and we ought to bring them before the Lord in prayer, but we're not finished yet. You see, you and I are more than just individuals existing in a vacuum, aren't we? God made us relational beings. From the very beginning of creation, God looked upon Adam in the garden. He said, it is not good for man to be what? Alone. And ever since then, God has created us to exist within a network of interconnected relationships. God made us relational beings. We are, after all, the creation of the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, who are in fellowship together for all of eternity. So God has made us relational beings, and therefore we're, we not only have personal needs that we ought to bring before the Lord in prayer uh, within ourselves, we have relational needs with others that we ought to bring before the Lord in prayer. And we ought to bring those needs before God We ought to pray not only for the personal needs of our brothers and sisters in Christ, we ought to pray for their relational needs as well. And that's exactly what Paul does on multiple occasions throughout his letters in the New Testament. At least five times over the course of his letters, he prays on behalf of believers' interpersonal relationships. And we're going to study as a church what he prays for. 
what did Paul, and more importantly, through Paul, what does God consider to be essential elements in believers' relationships with each other? And the first thing that Paul prays for on behalf of other believers is that they would have fellowship. Relationships are only as good as you are actually able to see each other, right? And to engage in that relationship. And so Paul prays that his audience would be able to enjoy personal fellowship with him and with each other. This comes from Romans chapter 1, verses 9 through 12 where Paul writes these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Paul says, well, back up in verse uh, 8, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Verse 9, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. And just to finish out the thought, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I've often intended to come to you, but thus far been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles, for I am under obligation both to Greeks and barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. So what we have there in the middle of that passage is Paul praying that God would give him and his audience the opportunity and the time to enjoy personal fellowship together. Personal fellowship together. And so now, in anticipation of what we're about to learn, and it is pretty awesome, uh, let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word, and I thank you for how it often shakes us up And makes us aware of things that we often forget about. Father, I thank you that your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And that it shows us the way in which we are to act in this world for your honor and for your glory. Father, I thank you that it teaches us, that you you teach us through your word, by your spirit, how to pray. And what to pray for. And Father, I pray that you would make us a people that values personal fellowship and that indeed prays for it to happen and indeed works towards that end. That those who are among us would be among us. Help us to prioritize what you prioritize, Father, and change our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as I said, this is Paul praying for personal fellowship. He prays that God would allow him to come to those believers that were in Rome and actually, he says, see them. There's a reason why, as we'll get to in a moment, but I don't want us to get ahead of ourselves. So first, I want you to just kind of catch the spirit of this prayer. I want you to notice the earnestness in which Paul is speaking here. He begins in verse 9 by saying, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son. 
Paul here is calling on God to witness the validity and the truthfulness of what he is about to say. Which means that whatever Paul is about to say, whatever he's about to pray for, as we know, is really, really important to him. The first passage that came to my mind when I saw this is similar. Uh, it's kind of like what Paul says over in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1-2, through 2, where he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and by his kingdom, preach the word. So Paul there was saying, I call on God to be a witness of this most important thing. That's exactly what Paul is doing here. He says, for God is my witness, whom I serve in my spirit in the gospel of his son. I mean, this request is really, really important to Paul. His whole heart, his whole being, and his whole spirit, and indeed ministry, is behind this. And if that wasn't enough to further underscore this fact, yet again, Paul says at the end of verse 9 that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers. So that's how Paul introduces what he's about to pray for. May God be my witness, essentially, that I pray for you and that I do not cease to pray for you. And after a setup like that, you have to ask, about what? Right? I mean, what are you so burdened about, Paul? Uh, what is this most great and pressing need that keeps on driving you to the Lord on our behalf? As Americans, perhaps who are used to American prayer meetings, we might be tempted to think, Paul, who got sick? Right? Who has pneumonia? Who twisted their ankle? Who wrecked their chariot? What is this burden, Paul, that's got you so fired up about? He tells us. It's the end of verse 10. Asking, here it is, here's the need, here's the prayer, that somehow, by God's will, I may at last succeed in coming to you. This is what Paul prays for. I want to be with you. I don't want this long, distant communication. I mean, to replace his face-to-face meeting, he writes the entire book of Romans, right? I want to be with you. I don't want this distant relationship. Verse 11, he says, For I long to see you. This is Paul praying for personal face-to-face fellowship. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, in this age where we have at our disposal all these wonderful tools to connect with and to minister to one another. Like audio recordings, which is happening right now, right? Live streams, which happen on Sunday morning. Like social media and texts and emails and phone calls. Like even the printing press. Paul's case, like even the pen and paper. Even though these are all wonderful tools that we should be using, just like Paul did in his day, more and more to reverberate and expand the gospel message and to fill in providential gaps and distances in ministry, we still need to remember, even though we're using all of these tools, we need to remember in our rushing and modern age that none of these tools hold a candle next to -to face-to-face ministry. No matter what tool you turn to, nothing can replace personal fellowship. 
Virtual church doesn't cut it. Even Paul, who wrote a letter and wrote letters after letters after letters, knew that it would be better if he could just see them face to face. And he proved that, by the way, when you study Paul's life going on multiple cyclical missionary journeys around the entire known world, traveling well over 10,000 miles on foot in just 12 years. That is at least, when I did the math, hopefully I did it correctly, I'm a pastor, not a mathematician. Um, That's at least two and a quarter miles every single day on average for 12 years straight. Why did he do that? Because he was worried about his figure? No. (laughs) Paul did that so that he could come and see those that he was ministering to. How? Face to face. Face to face. Nothing can replace personal fellowship. Why? Because there's something spiritual that happens when believers physically come together. Paul touches on this at the end of verse 11 into verse 12 when he says this, I long, to, I long to come to you, I long to see you. Why? He says that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. Verse 12, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Paul recognizes that if they could only just be together and fellowship together as believers and minister to one another together, face-to-face, his ministry to strengthen them and to encourage them would be so much greater. They would walk away being mutually encouraged by each other's faith. And by the way, that's just one of many spiritual benefits that come through being physically together with other believers. And to convince you tonight of the absolute importance of personal face-to-face fellowship, and to make this even more practical, to encourage you, as I was challenged in studying this, to encourage you to replace that text, or to replace that call, or to replace that email with a face-to-face meeting whenever possible, to encourage you to replace that lazy PJ live stream temptation with getting in the car. I'll take you in your PJs, that's fine. (laughs) But getting in your car and driving to church. I want to briefly touch on a few of those spiritual benefits that now you're all thinking to wear your PJs on Sunday. That's fine. (laughs) Um, But I want to touch on a few of these, a few of these spiritual benefits that come with physical fellowship tonight because they're powerful. First, physical fellowship produces what I'll call spiritual conformity. That's the first. Spiritual conformity. Quite simply, Scripture commands us to meet together. And I have to start there. I have to start there. Hebrews 10.25 says, Do not neglect to meet together as the habit of some is, but encourage one another and so much the more as you see the day drawing near. Scripture commands us to meet together. And when we do so, when we commit to carrying out the one another's that are given in Scripture, which, by the way, most of them can only be carried out when you're in fellowship personally with one another. When we are devoted to carrying out those one another's and devote ourselves to meeting together, we are obeying Scripture and we are conforming ourselves to the revealed will of God. And from that faithfulness in drawing near to God with other believers come all the other blessings that I'm about to give, okay? Okay. Starting with, first, spiritual conversion. 
spiritual conversion. When we meet together physically as believers, we need to remember that when we do that, God often uses that personal fellowship to produce spiritual conversion and salvation in the lost. He does this one way through the sharing of the word of Christ. Romans 10, 17 says faith comes by hearing and hearing through the what? Word of Christ. And God also does this through the sharing of the love of Christ. Jesus said in John 13, 35, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Well, where are they going to see that love? They're going to see it when you're in personal fellowship with another believer. And when believers gather together, and when believers start sharing the word and the love of Christ, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 25, that unbelievers will be brought to worship God and declare that God really is among you. So personal fellowship is often used by God to produce spiritual conversion. Second, personal fellowship is often used by God to produce spiritual clarity. The psalmist Asaph, when he was discouraged and confused by the events of his life, and when he was kind of caught in a spiritual fog, not knowing what God was doing, he writes this in Psalm 73, verses 16 through 17. He says, When I thought to understand this, It seemed to me to be a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God and then I discerned their end. See, personal fellowship often brings spiritual clarity as our brothers and sisters in Christ see us face to face and as Colossians 4, 6 says, with speech sprinkled with salt, full of grace, they administer to us the word of grace, they build each other up, And they help us, as Ephesians 5.17 says, to not be foolish, but rather to understand what the will of the Lord is. They help us have spiritual clarity. So personal fellowship is often used by God to produce spiritual conversion, spiritual clarity. Third, spiritual courage. This is the benefit that Paul mentions here in this passage. He says, I want to meet with you. Why? So that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Right? Personal face-to-face fellowship produces spiritual courage. We already kind of saw that in Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, where it says that we stir one another up unto love and good works, and we encourage one another all the more as we see the day drawing near. How? By meeting together. By meeting together, we are encouraged. When we meet together as believers, we are reminded in the midst of ever-increasing pressures and sorrows and trials that we are not alone. Just like Elijah needed to be reminded in 1 Kings 19.18 that there were yet 7,000 knees that had not yet bowed the knee to Baal, we need to remember that we are not alone either and that we are in this together. Personal fellowship produces spiritual courage as paul says over in second timothy 2:22, the only way that we can successfully flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness faith love and peace and be able to courageously continue in that in our lives is when we do it paul says alongside those who call upon the lord out of a pure heart why is that so why are spiritual battles often won when we are fighting them alongside others It's because personal fellowship produces spiritual courage. As Martin Luther once said, When at home in my own house there is often no warmth or vigor in me, but in the church 
when the multitude of believers is gathered around me together, a fire is often kindled in my heart and it breaks its way through. Personal fellowship is used by God to produce spiritual conversion, spiritual clarity, spiritual courage, and finally, spiritual change. When we don't meet together, when we neglect personal fellowship, we begin to harden into a state of spiritual calcification and rigor mortis. Hebrews 3, 12 through 13 says this, Take care, brothers, lest there be among any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. So exhort one another every day as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. See, if you don't meet together, if you don't experience the exhortation of other believers through personal fellowship, you won't grow. You won't change spiritually. You'll become hardened, Scripture says, into a state of spiritual deception and sin. See, when I, some, when I see someone who calls themselves a Christian that is neglecting the public worship of God, I don't need to wonder where their spiritual state is at. By Scripture, I know where their spiritual state is at. It is in a state of being hardened in the deceitfulness of sin. But when you do meet together with other believers, you do change and you do grow. 1 Corinthians 14, 26 says, What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn or a lesson or a revelation or a tongue or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. And Ephesians 4.16 says that when the whole body is joined together and is working properly, the whole body grows so that it builds itself up in love. See, see this is the spiritual impact of physical face-to-face fellowship. It produces spiritual conversion, spiritual clarity, spiritual courage, and spiritual change. And that is why Paul is so burdened to pray to God about this for the sake of their relationship that God would make personal fellowship happen. It's because he knew it was essential for spiritual conversion, spiritual clarity, spiritual courage, and spiritual change. This is the importance of personal fellowship. This is why, you've heard it before, church is essential Let's do our best to not attempt to substitute it. Let's pray for it. Let's pray that God would grow among our bodies the spiritual blessing and grace of personal fellowship.